right. Thank you, Janie. All right, if you want to get your Bibles out, we are going to end our little mini-series on Psalms today. And we're going to end with Psalms 137. By the rivers of Babylon we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. There on the poplars we hung our harps. For our captors asked us for songs of uh, our, our tormentors demanded songs of joy, they said. Sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing the, Lord, the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, may my right hand forget its skill. May my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not remember you, if I do not consider Jerusalem my highest joy. Remember, O Lord, what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Tear it down, they cried. Tear it down to the foundations. And that is, that's usually when we read Psalms or when we read this Psalms or when it's in your little um, devotional, this is where they stop. Rarely does, does it even go forward. Bob Marley wrote this, made, put this to, to music, by the way. So if it sounds familiar, Bob Marley made a song and he stopped here too. Because let's just continue. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us, who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. Do you see why most little uh, devotionals leave this part out? It's awful, isn't it? It's pretty heavy stuff. It doesn't even seem Christian. What in the world is it doing in the Bible? You ever think these things? You ever read some uncomfortable scripture that, that makes you cringe? Well, this is definitely one of them. Bashing babies against rocks. How, how are we to take this? How are we to interpret this? And what we're going to learn today is the psalmist, the guy that wrote this, is actually doing something right. Does God want us to bash children's heads in? Of course not. But you, you need to, when we look at it in detail, when we, look, when we really delve in to, the, to what the heart of what is really going on, it will make sense. You ever get like, somebody misunderstood you or you said something and then they automatically jump to this conclusion like you're a horrible person or, and you're like, wait, let me finish the rest of my thought. Right? Have you ever been in that situation where you don't get the opportunity to explain yourself? Well, we're going to get the opportunity today to explain this verse because what, it, what we're talking about here is we're talking about anger. We're talking about a very deep-seated anger. And we're listening to somebody that has processed anger the right way. And the problem with our culture, the problem with how we handle issues in our lives is that we don't process it the right way most of the time. Two weeks ago, we looked at grief. We looked about, okay, how, when, you're, when, you're, when you go through grief, when you're dealing with sadness, what are you to do? And the short of the message is that you need to bring it before the Lord and you need to pray through your grief. Like you need to be able to grieve well. You shouldn't bury that emotion. You shouldn't fake it like you're not sad. Nor should you vent it and just like, you know, 
be overly sad all the time. You see, there's a, there's a danger to grief. There's a danger to sadness. God calls us to grieve well, but if we don't grieve well, if we continue in this pit of despair and if there is no hope, that grief, that sadness, it will, it will morph into despair and, and depression. Not just like a season of depression, but clinical depression. So sadness, grief, and if it's not processed right, you can get clinically depressed where you actually need medical treatment in order to pull out of it, or you get healed, or God heals you. Last week, we looked at the emotion of fear, and this one really hit a nerve. It was really interesting how, how much, because I, I, a second service, I pulled the service, like how many people need prayer for fear and anxiety, and a large majority of the people raised their hands, and the ones that didn't raise their hands were the ones that were afraid to raise their hands. So it was really interesting, the amount of feedback that we got for people that are struggling with anxiety. Now, fear, in and of itself, is a good thing because it will keep you from getting eaten by a bear, right? It will keep you motivated to go to work on time because you're, you're, you're afraid that you'll lose your job because you, you showed up late. So, it, you know, God made this fear to be healthy, but we've taken that emotion and we've twisted it into something called anxiety, and anxiety f- makes us freeze, it makes us uh, do this internal dialogue and we, where we beat ourselves up, where we don't think that we can do anything and we don't take any risks because we're too afraid to step out and risk. And what we do know about fear and anxiety, if it is left to itself, well, it just it metastasizes into, where does it end up physically? Where does anxiety end up physically? It ends up in your stomach and you end up with an ulcer. Isn't this amazing that these these emotions and even the spiritual application of these emotions can actually physically affect your body? Maybe you haven't been physically healed. Like, you know, we we prayed for you and you got no breakthrough. Maybe it's because there's this spirit of anxiety that's attached to you or this is this spirit of depression that you haven't been able to shake yet and they haven't gotten to the root cause of it. Okay. Anger. It's like the third emotion. So my daughter was looking at me uh, putting this together, and she's like, "Like you're like doing the, the gospel of Inside Out, Dad, aren't you? You guys know what Inside Out is? It's that movie about emotions, right? And so, yeah, that's, that's exactly what we're doing today. We're going over the major emotions. And, uh, you know, fear being the most primal emotion that we have, but by far the most powerful emotion that we have and the most destructive emotion that we have is anger. And we've got to talk about this one, folks, because anger is, it's a big part of our society, and it's a big part of our our culture. Uh, Every election season, every four years, and I haven't had the opportunity to talk to you yet, I think now's probably a good time, but every four years, I talk to the church about guarding your heart against anger and tension and conflict. Because without fail, It is like clockwork. People are so predictable. Every four years within church life, community life, the conflict arises. Church people start choosing each other off. They get ugly. They get mean. They get nasty. They get angry. Do you know why? 
It's because of the environment. It's because what is, what, it's because there's this spirit of politics that is seeping into the body of Christ. So we're in an election season. Everybody's angry right now. Can I get an amen? The Republicans are super angry right now. They're so angry that they just might put Trump in the office. That is how angry people are right now. Actually, I'm not supposed to think, say things like that, sorry. It's like, lose our 501c3 status, whatever. Um, but yeah, everybody's super angry. The Democrats are very angry. Everybody, we're, we're angry at Hillary. We're ha- angry at Barack. We're, and, and, and it is... Just think about how polarized our country is. I mean, we've got culture wars. We have the, you know, in this country, we're, we're free to have a difference of opinion, but things are getting really ugly and they're getting really nasty. And we're choosing to be angry about things that, frankly, God doesn't want us to be angry about. Okay, here's the, here's the deal. If all that, that static in the air, if all that tension and conflict that is in the political realm, if it gets into your life, and if you begin to feed off of it, do you guys know that you feed off of these things that we hear in the media? It, be, it begins to feed our souls. So just, church, be careful. Protect your heart. Like, limit your, look, you got to be informed, people. you got to know what's going on. you got to know the issues. you got to know how to vote. You have to vote your conscience. I'm, I'm 100% dedicated to that. All right, don't raise your hand, but like I'm a news junkie. Do, you, do I have news junkies in the room? It's, it's a, it could be a problem. It could be a huge problem if the first thing that you do in the morning is turn on CNN. Even worse, if the last thing that you do before you go to bed is watch Fox News. Because what are you doing? You are feeding your mind and you're feeding your soul with the spirit of politics, a political spirit. And the political spirit, um, well, think about Pilate. Pilate in the Bible, he, he epitomizes the political spirit. And then it just says, it, it complains. Pilate, when he sit in Jesus, it was not his fault, right? Isn't that interesting? Politicians don't take responsibility for their own mess. Well, neither did Pilate when he hung Jesus on the cross. He's like, oh, I'm washing my hands of this. This is not my problem. I'm going to kill him anyway. It's not my problem. Vote for me. That, that, was, that was Pilate. And so we have to be very careful what we feed ourselves, especially when we go to bed, because it will actually affect our hearts. Anger is it is the dynamite emotion. You know, grief might make you depressed. Anxiety might give you ulcers. But it has been clinically proven. You know, if you don't believe me, Google it when you get home. Look up WebMD. Anger will kill you. It is the number one leader of heart disease. So you should pay attention, right? You should really monitor this stuff that we're feeding our lives on because if we allow ourselves to get so angry and if it explodes inside of us, eventually it will kill us. And I'm sure everybody in the room knows somebody that is just running way too hot. And when they get hot, they explode. 
And if you review your history, you could probably think of some other people that had the same type of condition and they're dead. Like they died young. I know a lot of men that have died young because they never were able to process their anger. And this is what we're going to look at today. How do you process it? Because anger in and of itself is not an evil thing. This is what we've got to get our heads around because... All right. Cornerstone of all theology is that God is good and he's good all the time. And we say this quite a bit. God's in a good mood, right? God's in a good mood. He's a happy guy. He loves you. But he's also angry. <laughs> so I know it's conflicting. How can God be like happy and in a good mood and be angry at the same time? I don't know because he's God. And he's got multiple personality disorders. Who knows? But he can do it. And what you say, well, I, I, thought, I thought God was a happy guy. I thought he wasn't mad at me because Pastor Josh, you told me that God's not mad at, at me anymore. That's well, true, he's not. But you gotta realize, we've gotta get it in our head that, that God's angry. He's angry at sin. He's angry at the situation, of uh, our world situation, our world climate. He's angry that Pastor Sahid is, is being held in Iran for way too long. He's angry that, that Christians are being murdered in Syria. He's not, he's not okay with it. He's not okay with sin. He's not okay with injustice. And so, yeah, he can be happy, but he's also angry at the same time. And here's what God does. God, this is, this is what we need to learn to do. When God gets angry in the Bible, just like off the top of your head, how does he, how does he respond? Do you guys know? Right, I'll tell you. God is slow to anger and quick in mercy. Hmm? So this is, this is the gist of the whole thing. Because some of us are in sin, like we are sinning because we are angry and then we, we vent that anger. Like we, ex we just, bah! we don't, cont we, containing is the wrong word. We don't process it the right way. Like we explode. And exploding is sin. Uh, John 14, I think it's 16. Let me, let me double check. So I'll give you the right reference. Oh, way off. Ephesians 4.26. <laughs> In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry. Okay, in your anger, do not sin. Other translations will say, get angry and don't sin. What? So God actually wants us to be angry? Okay, are you ready for this? Yeah. Like, okay, so some of us are in sin because uh, it says, you know, when you get angry, don't sin. Some of us sin. How do we do that? Well, we, we sin by exploding all over the place. We, we, we sin by, you know, when we get hot and we get angry, we don't walk out of the room. Okay, that's, a, okay, that's super practical stuff right there. Um, when you get angry, okay, like, uh, uh, should I leave ethnicities alone? All right, I'll leave them alone. But let's say you get angry and, and you're of a certain temperament where you, you just might explode. What the best thing to do is to walk out of the room, right? You guys know this. Because you're not quite sure what's going to come out of your mouth or what you might physically do. 
And so the best thing for you to do is to walk out of the room and compose your thoughts. All right, how about this one? Um, let's talk about kids. All right. It can be very frustrating trying to raise a kid, right? Because they get under your skin. They know how to push all the right buttons. They're that constant drip at times. And, you know, if you're not parenting well, if you're not, if you're not on them constantly, that constant drip will just build up, build up, build up, build up, and the parent snaps, right? John Townsend calls it snapping. So you just, you know, you let your kid be annoying, annoying, annoying. You let them get away with these little tiny things because it's not that big of a deal. And then finally you, 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 you snap and you explode, all right? Let's say like you're in the grocery store and the kid is, is constantly bugging you about the toy. Can I get the toy? Can I get the toy? Can I get the toy? And they're taking it off the rack and they're putting it in the cart and you put it back. But you don't discipline your child, right? You just put it back. And then finally they do something in public where you lose it, right? Have you ever lost it in the grocery store with your kids? If you have, guess what? You lost and they won. Because the emotion that's coming out, when you lose your temper in public with your kids, what is really going on is you're more concerned about what is going on with you than you are your children. You're more concerned about being embarrassed publicly than you are about shepherding your child or parenting your child. The same is true with God. So, um, when God sees humanity messing up, he's angry, right? But he does not act, thank God, he does not act on his anger. Because if he did, we'd all be done for. So if you're, if you're parenting your child, just think, okay, oh my gosh, I'm losing my temper. I'm going to kill my child. Have you ever felt that way before? I'm going to kill my child. Why? Why do you want to kill your child? It's because they're driving me nuts, right? That's the wrong motivation. That's the wrong place to discipline your child. If that is the impulse, I want to spank my child because my child's embarrassed me, because they're getting on my nerves, because you know, they're driving me nuts. It's, it's all about me, 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 right? And the good parent will, will say, all right, I have to check my heart before I discipline my child. And the good parent will say, what can I do that will benefit my child in this moment, right? It completely changes the, okay, I don't care how you discipline your kid. Well, maybe I do. But let's say, you, you know, you're, you're okay with, you know, giving your kid the rod. I got the rod quite a bit when I was a kid. I turned out okay. So I, I, if you have a difference of opinion, that's, you're allowed to have difference of opinions in, in this church. In, if you have a different parenting style, that's completely okay. Uh, but discipline is a biblical theme. Whether you put your kid in the corner or you, you, know, you give them a little whack out with a stick, it, discipline is discipline. And, and there's, you know, there's certain ages where like, giving your 17-year-old your a spanking is not going to work, right? You guys, okay. Maybe, maybe it will work. I don't know. Um, but when you discipline your child, whether, no, no matter how you choose to do it, you really, as a parent, you have to check yourself and you have to filter that emotion, right? 
All right. I'm going to go into the room. I need to take a break. I need to breathe so I don't kill, don't strangle the life out of my own child. You know? If you have an older kid, maybe you actually have an adult-to-adult conversation with your kid. Yeah, you're still angry, but you're at least composed. Um, Proverbs addresses it. Proverbs 14, 29 to 30. Whoever is patient and slow to anger, right? It doesn't say don't get angry. It says whoever is patient and slow to anger shows great understanding. Okay, but whoever has a quick temper, he magnifies his foolishness. This is so true. Like maybe you're completely justified in being angry, and most of the time you, you might be, right? You might have a, com- you might be, yeah, I, I, uh, I'm mad as heck, and I'm not going to take it anymore, right? You are, you're completely justified in your anger. But if you vent it right there, have you ever like lost your temper, and then you're like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, after a while, like the next day or so, you're like. I'm kind of embarrassed. Have you ever felt embarrassed for losing your temper? Have you ever felt like a fool? Well, that's because you are one. That's what the Bible says. He says, if you vent your anger, it magnifies your foolishness. Oh. So, you see, anger, when it's not dealt with the right way, not only will it... <laughs> corrupt you, your, your, your spirit and your soul and your physical body, like it will make you sick. So not only is anger not processed the right way, not only is it bad for you physically and emotionally and spiritually, it, it hurts community too. So you have to watch what comes out of your mouth. The fool does not watch what comes out of his mouth. And in your anger, when you do not filter... You say stupid things. Can I get an amen? Amen. 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 You say things that you just can't take back. And it will and does and has destroyed communities and it has destroyed families. The power of the tongue is, I mean, sticks and stones, that that whole thing is a lie. Sticks and stones will break your your bones and words will destroy you. And they will destroy your family and destroy your friends and your, and your church community. So you have to watch what comes out of your mouth because the tongue has the power to kill and the tongue has the power to give life. So you gotta be, okay. I have to watch what I say because if you do not filter well and if it comes out immediately, you cannot put it back in your mouth, can you? You can't unsay something. And some people, they might, you know, if they're walking with the Lord, um, they can forgive. Forgetting is, is another thing altogether. We're required to forgive. We're not required to forget. Did you know that? Yeah, that's That's wisdom. So we have to be able to forgive, we have to forgive our spouses for saying hurtful things. Um, the, you know, this happens quite a bit in marriages, but um, no one can hurt me like my wife can. She hasn't hurt me in a very long time, but she could destroy me if she wanted to. 
She knows all the right words to say. She knows all my weaknesses. She knows all my insecurities. And so when we get into a fight, and we still do, very happily married, but we're going to get into an argument. And if she wants to win, she can. And vice versa, I can too. And men usually say things that they shouldn't say because men are naturally competitive. We don't like to lose, right? We don't like to lose fights. And so, well, all's fair in love and war, right? We will say whatever we got to say to win the argument. Now, I, I you know, I, I know Pastor Josh seems like a very well put together guy and he does, he's, he's even killed and he's mellow and he, you know, have you ever seen me get angry? I have, a, I, have, I have somebody in the back that says, uh-huh. Yeah. If you've worked with me, you've probably seen me get angry. But for the most part, I'm just like, okay, I'm cool like Fonzie, except when I compete. I don't like to lose. I'm an only child, and I don't like to lose. And what we're going to get into next, I actually do very well. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, be boastful. I'm just trying to say, there's a way around this anger thing, folks. And there's a way around where you don't bury it and suppress it, but there's also a way around where you don't vent it. You just actually, you bring it into the presence of God. And I don't like to lose. Uh, in sports, man, I just, I was on the wrestling team and I was fairly good. And, you know, when you're good, you, you think you're really, you're better than you actually are. And that was me, right? I thought I was better than I actually was. I remember losing uh, a, a league match, um, and I completely came unglued because I was undefeated. And I threw the biggest tissy fit on the mat. I threw my headgear across the, the, the thing, and I was kicking stuff, and I just completely came unglued. I vented my anger, which was not a good thing, because my coach got a hold of me, and he says, Joshua, Braves do not act like this. I know you're angry. I know you're upset. But you, gotta, you have to compose yourself or I'm going to kick you off the team. Do you understand, young man? Yes, sir, I understand. Fine. Go get your headgear and pull your head together. Right? And he said other things too. But do, but do you see the... Do you see... Okay. He's like, you have to take your, your anger out on the mat. And if you lose, it's your fault. To vent it like this is foolishness. It only embarrasses you, but it also embarrasses the team, right? So not only did I embarrass myself in front of everybody, but I embarrassed the team. We have to watch what we say. Now, how do, I, how do you actually... So if you can't vent it, and if anger is kind of a good thing and you can't bury it, how are you to, to process it? Let's get back into 137. Because the psalmist does it very well. And the only thing that we really focus on is the killing babies part, right? That's the only thing that, we, that really jumps out at us and, and makes us grieve in our spirits. And it is very easy for us modern people to judge this, right? We judge it and make, oh my gosh, this is so unchristian. This is, you know, the secular world would never approve of such behavior. You know, and you might be thinking to yourself, is this right or is this wrong? Well, 
for this guy, he's doing everything right. Because this is a prayer. This is a lament. This is actually him coming before God as if it's like a court setting. He's pleading his case. Uh, This Psalm 137, I don't know if you've picked up on it, by the rivers of Babylon, right? Well, Babylon is not, it's not Israel. And so this was written probably some 400 years after King David was writing his Psalms. Did you know that? So this wasn't even written by David. This was written by, we don't know who it was. But to get your head into what was really going on, uh, this writer, he, he probably was a contemporary of Daniel. Daniel in the lion's den, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And I mean, it could have even been one of them. We don't know. We don't know who the writer of this was. It could have been Shadrach. I think, you know, it's, it's interesting that it was. It could have been. But this is what we got to get into our heads. Okay. Um, Israel, the kingdom, well, sorry, Israel had, fell, had fallen. There's two kingdoms. Uh, Israel had fallen years ago. The northern kingdom fell years ago. And then there was Judah, the kingdom of Judah, Jerusalem. On this mountain was Jerusalem, the holy city. And the temple is at the very top of the holy city. It's where God's presence was. It's where Abraham received or was going to sacrifice Isaac. It, it, is, it is so important and so central to who the Jewish people were. And uh, Babylon rose up in power. It's the second, the Neo-Babylonian Empire. It was very powerful. Nebuchadnezzar was, you know, he was one of the key figures in this whole thing. And they came in and they took over Israel kind of in a mellow way. They said, we're big, we're here, we're in charge, you're going to do things our way. And then they, inst- they, 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 they put in a puppet king in Israel. They got, they got rid of the guy that was kind of annoying, and they put a puppet king in, and they said, you know what, we're going to be cool just as long as you pay your taxes, right? That's all they really cared about. You guys can have, you guys can have your, your little your little kingdom here and you guys can keep your religion and you guys can, you know, grow your food. You can have all this freedom, but you're going to pay your taxes, folks. You understand? Yes, sir, we understand. We will pay our taxes to the mighty Babylonian empire. Some little skirmishes happened with Egypt. Egypt kind of won a battle and the, the puppet king says, I'm going to stab Babylon in the back. I'm going to ally myself with Egypt. And he did. Now, what happened after that was complete horror. Because no longer does Babylon care about the taxes. All they really care about is making Israel an example. Because you cannot allow that to happen. And so this time, when they came into Israel, they came in and they burned the place to the ground. And they destroyed the temple. I actually worked, uh, I did some archaeology in, in Israel, and the 586 87 attack on Israel, there's a burn layer. It's about this big and it's gray. Because they burned Jerusalem to the ground and they burned almost every other, you know, Israeli, Judean city to the ground as well. And they did horrific things because they had to make an example. So they publicly tortured people. They, you know, they, they burned all of their, their icons to the ground. They, their goal was to not win a war, because that, that was easy. 
Their goal was to inflict complete terror and to destroy a culture. And one way that they did it is they would run through the city, they would strip babies away from their mothers, and they would throw them off the walls or bludgeon them in front of their kids. It was horrible. And so here we have this psalmist, this contemporary of Daniel probably, and he's sitting there and he's like, by the rivers of Babylon where we wept, our captors, the wicked, said, sing us a song. Sing us a song about your holy city, Zion. Do you you know what's really going on? They are mocking them. Some 10,000 smart Jewish boys got taken out of their home country. They've witnessed all this stuff. They get taken out of their home country and they're, you know, they're slaves in a foreign land. Um, What kind of slave? We're not quite sure. I mean, they could have been digging ditches. They could have been musicians. That They were probably scribes because the Babylonians took the smartest. They killed everybody else. They took the smartest out. And so what's going on here? It says, sing us a song about your holy city, about your one true God who is here to protect you. Sing us a song while we keep you in bondage and keep you in slavery. See, do you begin to see the emotion coming out of this? And what what does the psalmist do? He hangs up his harp on the reeds. It's open defiance. We don't know exactly what happened, but this is a... This is a protest song. He's saying, you know what? I am not going to sing about the Lord in your presence. I I refuse to. And so he hangs up his lyre. And then he goes into, whoever wrote this, chances are he was a, he was a a, a public witness of what happened in Jerusalem because he also, he also goes back to the Edomites. So when Babylonian, the Babylonians came down, the Edomites came too. But they didn't come to anybody's aid. They came to watch. And they cheered on the Babylonians. They were like in the bleachers. So there's an incredible amount of pain and of anger that's being expressed in whoever this person was that was writing it. But what does he do that we don't do? Again, this is a prayer. He is praying through his anger and he expresses his anger. And I know what you're thinking. Oh my gosh, Josh. Well, what about the, you know, daughters of Babylon? You know, I hope what happens, what happened to us is going to happen to you and you're going to dash your children on rocks. What about that? Because that's not good. Well, it's not good. But you got to understand his point of view. This is exactly what happened to him. And He's concerned about justice. What do we know? What's the, what's the basic precept of Hebrew law? Do you guys know it? You do. You just, you know, you guys know it. You've all heard it. Eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. So he's actually 
Yeah, he's venting his, his anger, but he's also referencing scripture in a very powerful way. This is the right thing to do. Now, I'm gonna hit this and then we'll get to wrap it up because this is key and this is important. This makes him different than us. He says in verse seven, remember, O Lord, remember what the Edomites did on the day that Jerusalem fell. They said, tear it down, tear it down to the foundations. And then he goes, O daughters of Babylon, doomed to destruction. As he's praying his anger, as he's, in a sense, venting to God and not venting to his community or to himself, you begin to see the character of this individual. He's, you know, he's appealing, he's saying, okay, Lord, I swear that you are number one in my life. If anything is above my joy over Jerusalem, God forgive me of it. So he's doing business with God. He's actually reconnecting to his covenant with God or the Israeli covenant with God. So he's doing that in a very powerful way. He says, I, am, I choose to stand up for what is right I am not going to bow to the evil that's in the world. And then he says, remember what happened in Jerusalem. Does God have Alzheimer's? Is he like short-term memory God? Oh my gosh, I am too busy creating universes. I completely forgot about you guys. I, I'm just, I'm sorry, I forgot. No, God doesn't do that. Um, whenever the Bible says, remember us in our, in our, in our, in, in our issues, in our grief, remember Jerusalem, you know, remember your holy city. Whenever you see that language in the Bible, that word remember is not saying, oh, because God forgot. That word remember means act. Remember Jerusalem means that God, redeem Jerusalem, redeem what's going on here, Act. Now is the time to act, God. We will allow you to act. And here's the difference between him and us. Because when we want justice, when we are angry, when we vent, we want to get our hands around somebody's throat and, and, and institute justice. He does not. He gives his anger and gives God the ability to do justice, whatever God's justice is, right? God is just. We don't do this. We pray prayers like, God, give me vengeance. Set up a divine appointment where I will be in an alley with this guy by myself, right? That, that, that's usually how we pray. And how do, you, how do you overcome unhealthy anger? Well, you've got to give it to the Lord. You've got to let God judge. And it's very difficult. And I... I I probably should go into an area of, of, I could do a whole thing on forgiveness, right? But if we do not forgive the evil that was done to us, it will kill us, folks. It will eat us up. If we just don't say, okay, God, I, I give this to you, and not only do you, so you get to say, God, I'm, 
This is what this is what I do very well. You see, you got to say, God, I'm angry about this, right? So you know, I'll, I'll just let you into to Joshua's prayer life. Um, I, I pray all the little sweet prayers too, right? You know, give me this day our daily bread. I pray all those. But when I'm on my car, I I vent my anger, right? And I mean this seriously. I am talking to God. I am venting to God my frustrations, maybe my frustrations over a situation or my frustrations over people. Um, and I'm, I, am, I am giving that to the Lord. I am talking to God in a very real, like a real conversation with a real person. And my steering wheel might be bent a little bit by the time I'm done with my prayer session. But when I am done, when I have gotten that through the Lord and when I... When you vent your anger to the Lord, you, you will see what your anger is. This is the key to the whole thing. I'm going to ask you, today, the rest of this week, you need to ask yourself, what am I angry about? What am I angry about? Because what you're angry about is in complete contrast, they're completely connected, but what you're angry about is threatening what you actually love. So do you see why anger is actually a good thing? When God is angry, it's a good thing. Why? Because he loves us. I am so, you know, when I initially read the Gospels and I see Jesus, uh, he gets angry at the temple, right? And he, you know, the money changers. Like, wow, Jesus got a temper problem. No, he does not have a temper problem. He loves us enough to be angry at sin. Does that make sense? So what are you angry about? Are you angry that you're broke? What do you love? Money. Hmm? Are you angry that you're alone? What, what, what do you love? I don't know, relationship, sex, what is it? What is it that you love? We have to reorientate, they really guard our hearts. And so when we vent our anger in God's presence, we bring it in, he will show us exactly where our heart's at. It's, it's important. I gotta stop. If I had the band and ushers come up. You guys Okay. All right. Um, for homework, look up Hebrews 12, read that. Um, and we'll do it. All right, let's pray. God, we... Um, we come before you right now, and we are, we are an angry nation, and there's a lot of static, and there's a lot of chatter, and but we, for, we ask for your forgiveness, and we repent for being angry at things that we should not be angry at because it's tied to idols in our lives. God, we repent for venting our anger, and God, yes, we even vent for not being angry about injustice. 
So God, right now, I just pray that you give us the ability to be slow to anger and rich in mercy. God, I pray right now that you will just give us a, a peace that transcends understanding where we can, we can go before the Lord and we can say, God, this requires justice. And I pray that you will help us to see that your son was sent to the world to be that justice. And that he was dashed on the rock of Golgotha for us. He was God's precious child that was dashed on a rock for us. So God, we thank you so much for providing that sacrifice, for providing that justification, God. Pray that you just bless this offering and bless all that are here. In your name, amen.